if you are unbiased as a company, um, you reflect the society as a whole better, and therefore you probably connect to more clients. Uh, there is a very economic motive to actually do it apart from a social motive. My name is Katarina, and I'm the Community and Event Manager at Eculture, a company that is on a mission to shape the world of unbiased hiring. Welcome to the Oops, I'm Biased podcast. On today's episode of the Oops, I'm Biased podcast, I am talking to Frank Pohl. I have the pleasure of talking to him. He is the VP of Talent at Ram Technologies. He is Senior Talent and Culture Strategist and Founder at Mr. Jobs. And he's an expert on all things recruitment and unbiased recruitment, culture, you name it, he knows about it. I have the pleasure to talk to him today about unbiased recruitment, what it means to him, why it is so necessary, and he'll also explain a little bit of why he thinks it is, in his words, the smart thing to do in business, to be unbiased. He'll also explain how he would structure a recruitment process that is unbiased, what a hiring decision should be based on, what are the most important factors to consider here. If hiring the best candidate in an unbiased way and looking at cultural fit actually go together or if they are in ways contrary. And in the end, I'm also going to ask him to share three pieces of advice and best practices with you to start your process in structuring an unbiased recruitment process tomorrow. Bonus, we're also going to talk about his stance on hiring for diversity and why that might not be the best thing to do and the best motive to go forward. Now, without further ado, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, small PSA, this is the first of hopefully a very interesting series where I interview talent acquisition leaders and HR leaders on their best practices that concern inclusive, unbiased and objective recruitment. So now please enjoy my conversation with Frank Paul. Welcome, Frank. It is so great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, my name is, uh, is Frank Paul. I'm a uh, uh, the owner of, of Mr. Jobs, which is a recruitment and talent agency. Um, and uh, I have a, have an interim job now as a head of uh, talent at, uh, at Ram IT, which is a, a system integrator in Utrecht, uh, which has uh, 300 employees. Um, yeah, and this is a, a subject that's, of course, always very interesting to talk about. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for that uh, brief introduction of yours. Uh, today, we're going to talk about unbiased recruitment. We're going to talk all about actionable tips, best practices. You have a lot we've talked uh, before, and I already was sort of pen and paper um, writing down all of the things that you can share with us. And um, we're very lucky to have you on the podcast today to share it with our listeners and our audience. I want to start off uh, with a sort of more personal approach to the subject. What does unbiased recruitment mean to you personally? Well, not it, it's it's a that's a difficult question in a sense. Um, I think unbiased recruitment uh, from a business perspective, of course, is the is the best practice to go. There's actually a lot of studies that show that. Uh, uh, more diverse and inclusive companies have uh, a better track record in general. Um, and to be honest, um, I never really grew up uh, or biased, which is 
actually not true because everybody has a biasism in them. Um, but I do believe you have to find the best person for the job. And that, that goes more. So my biasism is more uh, towards skill and toward uh, what vibe or what talent people uh, uh, people have um, and not as much uh, all the other things. Yeah. So do you believe that there is such a thing as unbiased recruitment? Um, the, the short answer is no. There is no unbiased recruitment because people are biased uh, uh, by nature. Um, but I do think you have to see where um, that bias um, breach. Yeah, you touched a little bit on it, but I want to dive a little deeper into why you think unbiased recruitment is so necessary from a business perspective. Well, it is it is uh, multi-faced by now because the uh, the employment market and, and, and the job market in general is getting uh, smaller and smaller, so there's less talent to choose from. Um, so uh, in that case, you already have to look more biased, which is actually a blessing for the subject because uh, companies are also willing to look uh, to look broader because there is uh, a lot less uh, people offered on the market. Um, but it's also proven in, in, in several studies that, that companies that uh, are less biased uh, um, in general outperform uh, companies that are very biased. Um, and the interesting part is especially uh, companies like, for instance, Ram in the, in the, that are uh, like 300 plus um, have more problems with uh, being unbiased and, for instance, smaller companies, uh, uh, which is interesting too uh, to read. But um, if you are unbiased as a company, um, you reflect the society as a whole better. Um, and therefore, you probably connect to more clients. Uh, so that's uh, there is a very economic um, economic motive to actually do it apart from a social motive. Yeah. Do you think there's also um, a moral imperative that businesses have to follow um, to be sort of to grow more diverse as they grow or be more inclusive as society also reflects that diversity? Or do you think it is mainly a business driver? Well, apart from a business driver, I think um, if we focus a lot on, 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 on the subject of diversity, I think you could better call it grow because you grow as a company if you are more uh, open to other people, you get more ideas, um, and you do not uh, uh, you do not have a single track. So, um, to grow, you have to get diverser. So there is, is it a moral object? Yeah, I think companies are, in a sense, responsible for uh, uh, yeah for catering society that they are a part of. Um, but I think in the end, uh, businesses are mostly decided in boardrooms where return on investment is always uh, the most important uh, uh, important driver. Um, so if you are in my field of work, if you are in the recruitment space or in a talent space, it's very important to show um, that there is a return on investment on, on, on being more inclusive and making sure that you uh, get the bias out of recruitment. Uh, it even actually uh, is proven that it, it, it the, the churn numbers go down if you're a more inclusive and more diverse uh, workforce. Yeah. Can you go a little bit deeper into, um, if you say return on investment, what metrics would you then look at or sort of what do you bring as, as, a, as a return business case to, to show? Uh, to show that uh, these companies perform better? Well, that, that's, of course, very easy data. There is, uh, for instance, in the Netherlands, you have the CBS, but you have uh, countless, uh, countless investigations of, of numerous companies around the world because this is, of course, a worldly uh, subject um, that actually show that companies, if they compare them one-to-one, -one, uh, are more successful. They have better return on investment. They have better numbers uh, if they are more inclusive. Um, the fact that it 
uh, is proven to uh, to decline churn, uh, that's a very easy business case because every lever has a has a number that you know you can you can put a dollar sign on it. Um, what it costs that is different from company to company, but um, it is very easy if you say, hey, we can we can uh, bring down churn by two or three percent. Well, that could be huge in a company. Yeah, I mean, if if you really distill it down to numbers, then it's a, a well a very easy argument to make around it. Um, let's dive a little deeper into the recruitment process as such. Obviously, unbiased recruitment yes. doesn't just happen. Um, you no, have to no. put practices in place um, to get to a place where you can say, well, we've we've limited bias in these ways. How would you structure a recruitment process? You well, you have an ideal world situation. You have the real world situation, of course. Um, in the in the real world situation, uh, what I always try to do is, uh, is is kind of mix up the the interviewers, right? So, um, if I would put a mirror image of me next to me you know, when we have an interview, uh, well, most of the times we'll come to the same conclusion. So, I try to mix up um, the interview process with with people uh, with different backgrounds. So that kind of uh, that gives a, a more unbiased uh, feel. Um, one of the other things you can do is work with uh, with pre-assessments or uh, when a recruitment department, we have a department that actually sends the resumes out, uh, uh, take off dates of birth or names um, uh, to actually just show the person or just introduce the person by a short uh, note like, hey, this is so-and-so, he has this and this experience, uh, Let's uh, uh, we have an interview then and then. Um, but that's still... Um, then it still hinges on the on the non-biasness of the of the person doing that, right? The forwarding of the mail. So, in the ideal world, you would automate that, and then uh, a product like eCulture, for instance, is, is a very healthy uh, and easy product. It, it it actually does more than that. You can also uh, measure cognitive intelligence and whatnot. So, it 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 boils down more to the skill level than anything else. Now, let's talk a little bit about the hiring decision and how it is made. What do you think is most important when it comes to the hiring decision as it pertains to the data that you base it on, the people that you bring in to make the decision, how you structure, how you come to that decision in the end? Well, I think the hiring decision is always a, a team effort, um, at least uh, in most companies I, I worked at. So there's, there's uh, the higher you get up in the, in the ladder, the higher the position is in the, in the organization, more people get involved. Uh, and it's always uh, you give an advice and then other people uh, look into it. But the uh, most important drivers, in my opinion, should be uh, in the ideal world. It's, it's uh, does he have the qualifications? Is it the right person for the job? And do they have the right, uh, the right cultural fit? Uh, and with that, I mean, um, do they have the right drivers uh, to make it a success that are important for the, uh, for the position? So uh, for one position, you have to be very precise. And for another position, you have to be... Uh, very upfront. Um, it, it's 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 it depends on that. So I always look more at uh, at the skill level and the soft skills, and do they fit into uh, uh, into our organization? Yeah. Would you then say, in terms of soft skills, um, are those more important than the hard skills? Do they sort of line up on the same um, ladder? Is that the same level, or does it depend on the role really? I think, in a sense, uh, in the end. Sometimes it depends on the role, right? Because if you have to do uh, uh, salary administration, we have to do very mathematical uh, calculations. Um, 
you cannot say, uh, well, this guy uh, has a very uh, he fits to fits the group, but never done it. That doesn't work. So there's uh, there's always a balance between it. But I think I actually wrote an article on it once. I think you should always look at the potential of somebody, and uh, I think the group drive and the general culture of your company in the end is more important uh, than the skill set. So if you would ask me a direct question, what I believe, I would say. Uh, 60% is, is, is the personality and the other 40% is the, is the skill set, um, but there is bias in that. Yeah, of course. Now, you said in the beginning of that answer that it's always a group effort. Who do you see as the key stakeholders in that decision-making process and how do they come together in the end to decide wh- which one of the shortlist to hire? Well, we always try with, uh, uh, let's say, management positions. There's uh, there's two couples of two that uh, they do the conversation, and we mix them up, and we do that uh, uh, basically on the on the fact that you don't get a too biased or too written mis- um, uh, conversation. Because if you have two people that have conversations all the time, um, they will start repeating themselves, and uh, uh, you will get more. Um, they will it would get more uh, um, a trick than a, than actually an interview. Um, so we we change those apart, and then uh, there is the four decisions. But in the end, the manager, um, of course, uh, that will direct that will direct report is is the one that makes the decision. Um, so if you want to do uh, real unbiased hiring, um, best practice would be um, to get people in with sort of a mini assessment before you start talking to them. Yeah. Do you think that recruiters or well HR, depending on on who who is um, the advisor to the hiring manager, how much should they have a responsibility in guiding the hiring manager to an unbiased decision, or is that sort of putting the process in place and then um, sort of leaving that decision making still up to them, or how much is there leeway to actually guide that decision making? Uh, I think recruitment or HR, depending on where this uh, uh, where the topic is, uh, is is embodied in the company, should always have the leeway to to say something about it or to uh, to challenge uh, the hiring manager. Um, like, listen, hey, you're doing this, but why? Um, so I always want to have um, a good understanding why they choose for A, not B, um, and I try to be non-biased in it. Uh, as an example. A couple of weeks ago, we had somebody uh, for management position, and um, if you go to the disc profiles, he was very blue and very uh, emotionally flat, but very good at the job. Uh, these are normally personalities that I don't really react to. They don't necessarily uh, fit me. Um, so I had him have another conversation with somebody who uh, who actually is better at that field, um, because if you would ask me as a person, would you... You know, if you ask yourself the question, would I go to a bar and drink a beer with this guy? No. Um, but he was very good at his job. So um, I did advise him for the next round uh, because I know that I'm aware of the fact that I'm biased towards certain people. And I think that awareness and the creation of awareness is, is the first step for um, having a, a, a non-biased workforce. Yeah, very well said. Awareness is always the first step. And then... Um... With that awareness, checking other people on their own level of awareness for bias uh, well, is probably the second yeah, to, to go. It, it did probably take me 10 years. I mean, I don't think you start non-biased. Uh, at least um, that's something you learn when you uh, 
along the way. Um, so I think I'm at a point uh, where I can actually make that difference now, where I have enough influence also in an organization to uh, uh, to change the process and to um, uh, to show that the biasness is there and to uh, uh, to see if we can set systems in place that work better. Um, and that's not always easy, but it's uh, it is an interesting and it's also. Um, it's also a fun subject because it, it, it is directly reflecting on the culture of your company, uh, which is very interesting because um, a good culture is basically the base of your company. Yeah. While we're on the topic of culture, how do you see the fit or the connection between hiring the best candidate in an unbiased way and then also looking at cultural fit? Because those two sometimes seem a bit opposite. I, I don't know if they're opposite, to be honest. Uh, if you're looking at unbiased um, and unbiased in a sense of uh, uh, where people are from, what religion they have, uh, what communities they belong to, uh, I think that really doesn't matter uh, in the personality. And, and uh, the culture uh, is more person, personal fit, so to speak. Uh, you always say that there's diversity and inclusion and diversity is getting invited to the party and inclusion is actually being on the dance floor. Um, to make it uh, a little bit more uh, uh, more clear on where the where the divide is, uh, according to me, um, and I think you have to. They're already invited to the party because otherwise they wouldn't be talking to us. Um, so then the question is, would they be dancing on the dance floor, no matter uh, what background they have? Um, and I can say for myself that I'm not biased in that. Um, I cannot speak for all my colleagues or everywhere that you that you run into because biasm is um, biasm is basically uh, you grow it from experience. So it's it's somewhere in what you how you're raised or whatever. Uh, so that that's kind of hard to get out, um, and I think you will never get that out. But I don't look at it personally. Yeah, I think people um, the, it doesn't matter what their background is. Yeah. I guess then it also comes down to how organizations define their company culture. Because I, I, there is a way of defining your company culture in a way where you have space for people from different backgrounds, people of different sort of lived experiences and, and ages and family sort of constellations, yeah. right? Yeah, well, I think a narrow job market helps with that, right? Because uh, RAM IT, for instance, A, they are in IT, which is a very narrow market. So you, you cannot just look at uh, clones of everybody that's already there because then you wouldn't fill your positions. Um, secondly, um, uh, RAM is, is, is uh, basically focused on healthcare. So that's a, a very social, uh, social subject. Uh, so they also have room here. And that's the nice thing. And that's why I, I, I like the company a lot. Um, they also give people a chance if they're 64 or whatnot um, or, or wherever they're from based on experience. Um, and you do need a management team that sees that. If you have a very stringent management team, you will have a, a hard time. Uh, on the other hand, I, I'm almost certain with uh, the way the, the job market is evolving and it's going to evolve to even less available people if you have to believe all the statistics. Um, those companies will filter themselves out because it's it's not a sustainable business model. Yeah. So as I hear you, so yeah, talk. as I hear you talk about it, then um, as I sort of introduce the topic as cultural fit being sort of an opposite to unbiased recruitment, it's actually probably that the inclusive company culture, or sort of the way that the company culture is built, that enables unbiased recruitment. 
as I hear you talk. Um, yeah, I, I think if you have a very, uh, um, if you have all the same people, of course, it's not very inclusive and people will not come in. But if your your base is already diverse, um, you will attract more diverse people. So it's kind of the snowball effect. Um, so the first couple of people, you probably have to really, uh, really think about it and do it on, on purpose. Um, I don't believe you have to make a law out of it, uh, right? There's always talks, yeah, we should make a law of inclusiveness. If so many people have to be women, so many people have to be of a uh, different ethnicity than, the, um, than what a company is. I don't think that works because that would force the subject. Um, but I do think if you are aware of it as a company and you are aware of the problems that will evolve and you want to have a sustainable business model, because in the end, that's what it's about. You have to also reflect society because that society will also deliver the people that work for you. Um, so in that case, um, it's a win-win. You always have to include everybody in that society. Yeah. While we're on the topic um, of hiring for diversity, I know that it's a, a big topic around well having quotas for specific diversity groups as you just talked about hiring women for a specific quota mm -hmm. hiring uh, def different ethnic backgrounds i see your stance on hiring for diversity as as something that you would not favor how do you then make sure that you get a diverse workforce if you wouldn't want to hire purely for diversity well, if you make it a quota, uh, I think the, the danger is that you will hire people that would actually uh, uh, grenade the culture that already is there because then you're just doing it because. Um, so, uh, for instance, uh, you have two internal candidates, even where the quota would go for it, and the one would be actually better for the job and you deny him the job because you have a quota, that person will not feel very, uh, very happy, of course. And the reasoning behind it is most of the times uh, because people got discriminated so long, now you will get discriminated, but then you still discriminate. So I don't believe in that in general. I think um, there should be, instead of a quota, you should inform companies more. I don't think a lot of companies know all the metrics that it's actually, that, that companies that are diverse outperformed them. I don't think people are all aware um, of how the, the job market will evolve. Uh, I think they even talk about um, uh, 2025 it being even less, uh, less people will be available um, because a lot of companies act in the here and now. They act on, on what's on fire now and not they have a 10 year plan, but it's, you know, recruitment in HR is uh, it is getting better, but it's always a fee burner, not a fee earner. Um, so I think if you if you talk about it, not from the inclusive perspective or from the uh, from the more sensitive side, so to speak, but from a business perspective, it makes sense. You have to do this. And that's actually what you should, what we could say to all the companies that are listening to it, all the people. If you have a diverse workforce, you will be more uh, capable of, of, of having the, the challenge of filling your vacancies in the, in the, in the future. Yeah. So as, as I would then phrase or summarize what you just said, um, diversity should always be a byproduct, but also then sort of the basis of your company. So hiring more diversity should be a byproduct of hiring the best candidate for the job. And diversity is a given in terms of we're not hiring for the sole goal of diversity because that is sort of void of meaning, void of value to the company. 
Yeah, I believe so. I think if you hire the best person, you automatically have a diverse uh, diverse group because um, I don't believe that um, uh, that men or women differ in what they can do for a company or or, or um, if you uh, what kind of belief you have differs for what you can do for a company. There is no difference in that. So if you hire for the best person, you automatically will have a diverse workforce. Um, and people should not fear what they don't know, because that's, of course, uh, where uh, the whole unbiased thing comes from. Uh, it always brings something if you talk to new people. And I guess in my job, uh, you talk to a lot of people, so you have to be curious about people. And I think curious is one of my uh, number one drivers in life. Um, so that curiosity uh, is what brings it to me. But that's also uh, the gospel recruitment and HR should have. Um, so, yeah, I think you are right. It's It's a... It's not a byproduct. It is the product if you go for the best person on a job and leave your bias at home for a day. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's also a question of what do you define as diversity, right? So, yeah, what, what do you define as diversity to uh, <laughs> put a question to you in a podcast? That's great. I, I rarely get questions. Uh, in return, I'm normally on the other side. Um, I think for me, diversity can mean so many things. And I think in a way... It's being quite simplified if we say, well, we need a gender quota and 50% of the shortlist needs to be women that we can at least pick from so, so many um, people. Mm -hmm. um, same with ethnic backgrounds. I think the need for representation is um, big and I think is important. But I think looking at the diversity as a term that encompasses a lot more than just what you can see on the outside of a person or sort of that identity marker that you can see on a passport is much more valuable mm -hmm. to companies. And well, if we talk in business terms as well, productivity, if you look at, okay, this person has this skill set that this other person might not have, then that's already diversity that we can make much more use of than saying, well, we need in this team um, 30% uh, with a non-Dutch background if we talk about uh, the Netherlands or yeah, um, yeah. yeah people with different, um, well, linguistic backgrounds, for example. Um, that would be my stance on it. I also think that will, uh, because of the, the, the job market developing the way it is and and, and, and more companies that, where you can employ people uh, throughout uh, the world, basically, uh, where they're the employer, um, that also kind of um, makes the, uh, the market more diverse because you get more global. Um, and you see that a lot more, right, that people have people working uh, remote from, and that's the only thing that COVID brought. That is uh, that is good. That there's more remote work. Agreed. Uh, that people are uh, that people are in different places uh, in the in the world, and that actually also will emphasize and 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 snowball diversity. Yeah, yeah. I think it should always, as you so eloquently said earlier, it should be a, a mirror to society, a business in the in the environment that that a company operates. It should be a mirror to what's on the outside. That should be sort of your your checkpoint in terms of hopefully we can we can get a workforce that is feels that they are included in a company, feels that they can yeah. bring their unique self to the company, and then also hopefully at large we can make sure that representation is guaranteed um, through that by which then we'll hopefully boost the diversity at a company. If we put it in sort of simplistic yeah. terms, of course. Yeah, but it's interesting what you say, right? That people have to bring themselves and have to be uh, capable of being themselves in the company. And what you're saying there, um, from this standpoint, is a very sensitive subject, right? Because it's about people and it's, of course, very uh, uh, very happening in the world with the cancel culture we have. 
Um, but if you do not have those conditions at your work, you will have a lot of sick leave, you will have a lot of churn, you will have a toxic uh, culture. Um, so I drive it back again to the metrics and to, to business sense, business smartness. If you have a great culture, you have um, basically a great company that will flow through to your clients, that will flow through everywhere. So your company will be more successful if you have an inclusive workforce um, that is also diverse. Um, so I think that's the best argument because uh, it also gets the emotion out of the whole the whole subject, right? Because it's an emotional subject where, um, especially in a, in a in an ever polarizing world, it's uh, you, you can step on the on the wrong toes very easily. Um, so if you get all of the all of the sensitivity out of it and just look at it from a business perspective, it's the smart thing to do. And that's actually the, probably uh, my mantra in this in this podcast. But that's what it is. Um, and we should be aware of it. So awareness is one. Um, and then making sure that you set up your business for success in the future. Uh, well, that's that's the automatic, uh, uh, the automatic result of that. Yeah. Yeah, I could not agree more. I think that is a very nice summary of, of what it should be or sort of what, what you boil down um, the topic to. If you had to give three pieces of advice or best practices that pertain to unbiased recruitment, where our listeners can start tomorrow, at least with one little stone that they put on top of each other, and then hopefully we'll, we'll have a whole process of unbiased recruitment. What are the three pieces of advice that you would give them? I, th I think the easiest way is, uh, and if you have to influence on that, because you, uh, the, the, the smallest influence is making sure that you um, put different people next to you in 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 the, in the interview process. People that are not like you, that probably have a different idea on things. Um, that's already one step. That's the easiest step to start with this. And make sure that you, uh, if the company is a little bigger, that you every now and then change those people out so that they have a different uh, different feeling with it. And also... Um, for instance, the RAM here, we uh, put uh, technicians with it, right? Um, so different people that actually do the job that they're going to do. And I make sure that I get different people every time um, because uh, it has a side effect that they feel included as they get to uh, to deal in a, in a decision and they get to talk to people of what they do. Um, that's step one. Uh, step two and that's something uh, we are looking to implementing as well. Uh, for instance, the tooling Equalture has uh, does a lot more than taking the bias out. That's, uh, um, uh, I think, uh, the biggest uh, uh, the biggest commercial output you have, but it does way more on the backside. So if you can in introduce something like that, you um, you get it even more out because that actually on the on the on the on the front end of the whole interview process already uh, gets biases them out. Um, and if you feel that in your company there's a lot of bias, um, try to take out names and date of birth and just uh, do a short summary of somebody. Like, hey, this is so-and-so, you can do this and this. Um, I think we should plan an interview. So control the interview process. Yeah. Yeah, I think those, well, together with other things that you already mentioned, sort of that diversity of an interview panel in general, um, are quite actionable insights. I always like to center the insights around things that people don't have to buy, things that people can start sort of yeah. tomorrow, because uh, obviously we don't want to gateway any any information, any valuable insights that people can can take away already. So definitely bringing in people who have different skill sets into um, that decision-making process for recruitment, I think is something that um, 
can feel quite intuitive, but maybe it couldn't be forgotten in that sort of rat race of we need to fill the position and it, it gets harder and harder to, to fill them. As you mentioned, uh, in a few years from now, there'll be even more jobs than than uh, than people to, to fill them. I heard a, a statistic now that for every um, 100 candidates, there's 122 open uh, vacancies. So that's the position we're in right now. So it's always good to um, look outside the box. Well, that's good news for our branch, I <laughs> guess. But uh, yeah, uh, no, and, and that's actually good news for inclusion and diversity as well, because that that forces us to look outside our uh, our comfort zone and outside uh, maybe the borders, uh, and that will will get it. So it's the only way forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, in, in every sort of hardship or challenge, there, there's something positive, hopefully, to be gained from. Uh, and that might be might be a driver to make sure that we all uh, give everyone equal chances. Um, with that, I want to thank you so much for joining us on this conversation. I had a very insightful uh, 35 minutes. I hope you enjoyed it, too. Yes, thank you for, for having me, Jan. We will hopefully, if well, if you'll accept our invite, we'll invite you back um, someday to discuss this topic at large. There's so much more to talk about. And uh, I'm sure that um, your actionable insights are very welcome with our audience. Definitely open for it. Amazing. Uh, we'll also put all of your details uh, that you would like to share with our audience in the show notes, along with your LinkedIn profile for people who want to connect with you and, and learn a bit more about what you do and the other expertise that you have. If you listen to this podcast today, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope to see you in the next one. Let us know what you enjoyed the most or what you've taken away from this one. And yeah, thank you for tuning in. I hope to see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you.